0: Reason you did it you stumped this charming devil kurt another week of pbt extra we got a lot to talk about but first yeah. and foremost
1: how are you doing i'm doing good i'm doing good like it's the holiday season it's kind of fun this week had a friendsgiving last weekend all my family's home kids home from college for a few days like so everybody's back together it, that makes it fun that makes it supposed to be that's supposed to be what it's about and it's what it's about around here so we're in a good yeah. place what about you
0: I'm doing really good. Um, I, I it's so funny, like with Thanksgiving here. I, I'm kind of like in this weird moment right now where I don't really know how to feel. You know, Notre Dame season's wrapping up. We got a huge game, huge. That's a huge It's USC. Yeah. I mean, I mean, USC's number five on the cusp, right of uh, or right, sorry, number right, right around, around number six, right, right on the cusp of the college football playoff. Yeah, they,
1: if they isn't the sense that. If they beat Notre Dame, they would slide past whoever loses Michigan, Ohio State into the into the right? into the
0: playoff. And it's just like, what? So for me, the, the opportunity, if you really think about it, to maybe knock out the USC, you know, in yeah, their in their college really playoff hopes. And, and it's such a historic rivalry and to redeem the season the way that started, you know, with Marcus Freeman there to then end it like this and to I mean, that, that would be – the play spoiler would be pretty nice for a Notre Dame fan, right? I mean, I know you're a Notre Dame fan. So I mean, yeah, I am. And, and, and after the win over Clemson,
1: like, you feel like – and the way they dominated Clemson, you feel like it's possible. This it's could very
0: happen. possible. Yeah. It feels very possible. So it's like – okay, yeah. So that's kind of what I'm looking at right now. And, and then obviously uh, college basketball is here, and it's a, in a big yeah. way. But this is like, to me – can we focus on Notre Dame this weekend <laughs> in the college basketball? Uh, so that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at. But uh, you know, it's funny this this week we saw a reunion, uh, or sorry, a homecoming, I should say. That I I didn't I don't know I'd I be very curious to hear what you thought about ben Simmons going back to Philly because he expected more booze. <laughs> we know how yeah, serious exactly. Philadelphia fans are. So what did you think about the homecoming? First off, yeah, I, I, it wasn't just
1: him. I mean, Stan Van Gundy on the broadcast said, Oh my gosh, I thought it, I, I think the Philly fans have, have let me down. But I think part of it was no Joel Embiid, no James Harden, no Tyrese Maxey. Like some of the energy just got, I mean, they still won, but like some of the energy got sucked out of the building by them not being there. And I've got to give Ben Simmons credit. He handled this about as well as you can handle it, right? Like, I mean, off the court, said all the right things. He's taken selfies pregame with fans. He's joking around. He's got a smile on his face the whole time. Finished with 11 points, 4-7 shooting, 11 dimes. Played, they didn't win, but he played pretty well in a string of playing pretty well. Uh, he's been playing a lot better lately the last few games. I. What did you think? I thought for Ben, I don't know that that could have gone much better. The rest of the Nets might be another conversation.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I was just kind of... For me, <laughs> I thought this was a very bad showing for the Nets. Um, yeah. You know, Kurt, I thought potentially that Jacques Vaughn could kind of like spark something within the Nets organization, right? And I thought it'd be like take the same turn as the Atlanta Hawks. I was wrong. I think this is a perfect example of, of this middling Nets team uh, of what they are. And unfortunately, that's, you know, inadequate. Team or maybe even a below adequate team with incredible star power, and I and I understand like the Ben Simmons like homecoming, like you said, it probably went as well as it, as it could have, minus the minus getting a win. But ultimately, I zoomed out from that and said, "Wow, this Snap team isn't very good," and I kind of lost hope. And I know this is early, but I, I I really did lose hope for the rest of the season.
1: I don't think you're alone there. Are you? I like I. I it's hard not to watch them get taken apart defensively by. Again, Tobias Harris. I love B-ball Paul as much as anybody. Like, he does not get enough talk, and he had a great game. Punish them. They're small. You watch everybody who plays them who can go big, and they just get punished inside. And, I mean, Corey, maybe I'm reading too much into it. They're showing Kevin Durant on the sidelines after the game, and he'd been joking around and playing with, you know,
0: George Yang. He looked frustrated. And yeah, I you, you, you hit it right on the head. I, I he, he was – I mean – there was a moment I think in the third or fourth quarter where Kevin Durant was trying, I mean, clapping at the team is trying to like get him excited. Cause I'm, I'm thinking about this. No Joel Embiid, no Tyrese Maxey, no James Harden. Yeah. And you, I mean, it wasn't even close. Like this game, I know it was no. like a ten-point game, but like when you watch the game, I mean, it wasn't even it, it, like, the Nets just looked outplayed. There were times when, I mean, the half court set break down on like even like a simple dribble handoff, right? Like a, and then the the 76ers would be in the passing lanes on a fast break. And I'm thinking, how how is this possible? You know, like this is, this is with Kyrie Irving, with, you know, with Kevin Durant, like this should never ever happen. With Ben Simmons, this should never happen. Simple communication breakdown on offense. And on the other end, you know, to be outplayed offensively, um, you know, by, by that without any of the three top scores for the 76ers yeah. just i mean just absolutely catastrophic.
1: Yeah, and I, I you wonder where this leaves them long term because I mean it's too again, it's er, we keep saying it's early in the season because technically, I mean, we're not even a, quite a quarter of the way into it yet. But it's also far enough into the season where you're like, I don't know, man. Like it's getting it's getting to the point where the numbers are real, the issues are real. And I don't know that there's a simple I mean Brooklyn's got to decide what they're gonna do, but do they go all in and try to get a trade for a Miles Turner, Jakob Pertle, somebody to to get a big in the middle? Like I mean, do you try to patch this thing up and find a way to win? Because you look at the top of the east, like Boston looks great. Yeah, Milwaukee looks great, and oh by the way, both of them are missing key players. they are both going to get better as this season goes on. And I don't, I don't know that this team can compete with them, even if they make a couple of moves. And,
0: you know, I I agree with you. I don't think they can. And I think we're starting, we're two games away from our, we talked about the 20 game, you know, let's assess the season. We're 18 games in for the Brooklyn nets. And this was one of those, uh, Oh, writing on the wall kind of games for me. Yeah. And like we talked about before, the fact that they were even thinking about courting um, Ime Udoka, given that background and uh, of what's happening right now. Is, and you think about the way they handled the, the Kyrie Irving uh, suspension and he's back on the team. I, for me, this is one of those, this is just another series of just bad decision-making, right? In a series of bad decision-making for the Brooklyn Nets. And, and I think it's just, as a Nets fan, I would <laughs> advise you just to to weather weather the storm because there's just nothing else you can do. I feel like there's you have to just wait yeah. for this to pass. And that's and that's actually, you know, pretty a pretty remarkable thing with that roster. They used to wait it, for it to pass.
1: It is amazing I think that that's the disappointing part, right? Is that when we looked at this going into last season before all this started, we're like oh, who's going to beat the Nets? And, and that was in the, they had James Harden, but we started looking and they had Joe Joe Harris and shooting and Nick Claxton was coming along and on down the line. They just like, there was good role players. You know, I don't know who's going to beat this team. And it is, it is never gelled like we thought it should gel. And that's a little on management. It's probably a little on the players. I don't know that anybody's blameless in this, but I, and I don't have an easy, like, oh, this is, you know, some sports talk radio, hot take there. It's just, it should be better. It should be better than it is. And it's just not.
0: Yeah. I, I think, I think for when I look at this, you know, just before we go into Philadelphia and the takeaways for them, you know, when I look at this for the Nets, I think it's very clear. You're going to, the thing that you're waiting for past, waiting to get past yeah. is um, the Kyrie Irving is a, that's the first immediate scenario. What do you do with Kyrie Irving? And you're almost done with that experiment. Well, yeah. who knows what's going to happen, but in theory, well, you, think, but do that. I, you are, but I don't,
1: you might have to ride the season out. There is, I will just say, talking to people around the league, there is zero trade value. Yeah, that's what
0: so you ride, you ride the season out. That's the waiting. And then with Kevin Durant, I know he signed that extension. But, I mean, just seeing the body language on the court, seeing what yeah. happened this offseason, you could – I mean, do you think there's a, a chance that he requests another trade, you know, with sometime in the next three years? Um, sometimes, in the,
1: Sometime before next June, yes. Like I, <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, I, I don't – I don't know that you can pull off a Kevin Durant trade at the deadline just because it's harder to pull off those kind of mega deals mid-season. It's not that they can't happen. They're just more difficult. But I, right now, I personally would be surprised if he's back there next year. And I think what they ask back for him changes. They're going to want some picks back. It's it, It's gone from, we don't really want to trade him, so you've got to give us all this win-now stuff, to we've got to retool this thing. So. We'll, yeah. We need our picks back. We need a bunch of stuff.
0: I, I, and I agree completely. So then you think, OK, well, in the next year, let's say going into next season, you're building a team around Ben Simmons, essentially, <laughs> or whoever or you get back. And I don't think and this is the crazy thing is I'm, I'm going to say this, Kurt, and forgive me, if this seems like a hot take, but I don't think that's a bad idea. I mean, really, I, I think you're looking at Ben Simmons. We know he's a unique player. We know he looks like he's playing with joy again, which I think is a very important, critically underrated element. Right. Uh, of playing a professional sport, because it is ultimately a job. And we always hear that that adage, do what you love. And, and it looks as though he has found a, a renewed vigor. And and who knows what could happen if you give him the right piece, you know, in a post Kevin Durant world, whatever you get back from that. We know that, you know, what, what Rudy Gobert commanded Uh who knows? Maybe we could find maybe a, a renaissance of what, we, what we're seeing in Cleveland, right, where Darius Garland was playing well. It looked like he yeah. was hitting his stride. And then Donovan Mitchell came and what was an absolute boon to that team. Potentially something similar could happen in Brooklyn with, with Ben Simmons. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that could be really interesting. And I think that ownership and management there.
1: They sacrificed their culture somewhat to bring in Irving and Durant. They gave them a lot of say over from the day they signed DeAndre Jordan to an oversized contract, all this stuff. Like they gave those guys a lot of power. I think you're going to see them that would try to rebuild the blue collar ish, hardworking culture they had before where they went and found Spencer Dinwiddie and they went and found Karis Levert. And they went, I think they want to get back to that culture and that identity. And Ben Simmons can be part of that, but like, you've got to get back to, Something other than than what this was,
0: yeah. And then Philadelphia, I, I think the takeaways from from Philly, at least for me, watching that game, is you can win without your top three scorers. You know, I mean, you can win without <laughs> Maxi and without of course Harden and and your perennial MVP candidate Joel Embiid, which is something that we see in the top contenders like yes. the Milwaukee Bucks, where Giannis is eating popcorn on the bench and they don't have to worry about it. Right, like that, yeah. I think is a a really great step forward. And it, it actually surprised me because I didn't think that Philadelphia was there, quite frankly. I, I, you know, we, we always talk about that, that team and it's like, well, why aren't they better than number three, you know? And, and I think they're finally, right now, they're showing me that, hey, they might actually be better uh, than, than they have been in, in the past years. And, and it might come together sooner rather than later if they can figure out, you know, the, the embiid harden Maxi uh, question. But the rest of that bench, the rest of that team, they look really good, Kurt. There's, there's always been potential there.
1: Uh, I think at this point, it's just a matter of getting them all on the floor together, right? Like, you just, you've got to build some more chemistry, some more time, because it didn't flow as smoothly, but that's something that can be, a lot of it could be worked out, and you've got to figure out where the defense is going to come from. They're, with Harden and Maxi in the backcourt, they're going to need, they hurt for wing defending a little bit, and they were like, can we put Tybalt in, or do we need to go get somebody else? I think, and maybe Tucker hasn't been all they hoped yet, but I still think that that can gel into, and there's plenty of time for that to gel into a team that's a serious threat when it gets to just playing 16 games, you know, having to win 16 more starting mid April. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? did you tip your tiara to a creole princess or get goofy officially step up like a boss and save the day or see what life's like under the tree of life did you if you could would you when we come through it's true magic because we came to play bring the magic at walt disney world resort so now let's let's talk about memphis shall we so yeah. let's talk about John Morant. Yeah. We, we um, he's dealing with some injuries last night. He came back at you know, the time of this recording, the, you know, the last night from this uh, uh, recording, he came back and dropped 34. Yeah. Um, so w- what did you think about the, the, um, the way that the Memphis Grizzlies are handling John Morant's grade one ankle sprain?
1: It's interesting because I think there's a hard line to walk with him. And, and, and as a, High-level athlete, I'd be really curious your thoughts on this because you're trying to balance. Look, I don't know how his ankle feels. I, I do not have his ankle. I have I have my own bad ankles. I don't I don't need his. Um, he gets out, and obviously it wasn't bothering him. Clearly, whatever the grade one sprain was, he looked like he was fine from. But there is a longer-term concern with him that he's kind of a skinny guy who leaps out of the building, which means, by the way, then you have to come down a long way. Like mm-hmm. there's. Uh, he is this Dwayne Wade, uh Allen Iverson attacking the rim, aggressive, takes the contact kind of style. And that, there is a genuine concern that that can wear on him over time. That that is he physically built to handle what he's going to – I don't want to say the abuse is the wrong word, but the physicality he's going to take going to the rim every time like this. Over the long haul, when you jump up and get hit and you knock down and you land on your side of your back at enough times, like it just builds. And so I think I think there's a concern. There's a caution there. I, they, they clearly let him back for this game. And I guess he was fine. Clear, dropping 34. But long term, I'm curious, like how do you think you would want to deal with that?
0: Yeah, I man, just looking at, you know, his how many games he played in each of his seasons so far, He played 67 games in 2019, 2020, 63 games in 2020, 2021 Um, last season played 57 games. And then so far he's played 15 out of 18 uh, games for, for Memphis. So, you know, I I think when you ask the durability question, you know, the the biggest thing for any superstar is availability. And I I think you're right. The way that he plays is so um, aggressive, so physical that it naturally would call into question that, that durability question. Um, But I wouldn't be as concerned because I I've actually been impressed by his ability to stay on the court and especially play when his team needs him when it matters later in the season. Right. So I, I think he's shown me enough to allay those concerns. But I do think the ankle sprain is interesting because as a as a former athlete myself, I can tell you those never go away. No, they, 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 never, like, they never like you're never like healed from, from ankle sprains like they always linger. So this is one of those things that it's going to be it's not like you can just sit out four to six weeks and then come back 100 percent. Like it's just it's always there.
1: Yeah, it's it's always easy, easier to re injure than just about any anything else. Right. Because the ligament has been stretched and it never quite goes back and you end up with it's not that it can't be managed, Stephen Curry, with orthotics and braces and, like, there's stuff you can do. But, I mean, he has a regimen. He has, like, it's a process for him. It is, he takes care of his ankles. I think you, Ja may end up having some of those moments down the line. And the Grizzlies as a whole, aren't they impressing you? I mean, this is, (laughs) they're still very good. And without, by the way, Desmond Bain this year.
0: You know, yeah. I, I mean, the Grizzlies every year it seems like they just continue to impress me, and the way that they're running their organization is extremely impressive. It seems like they're clicking on all cylinders, which is great. And yeah, I think when it comes to the the injury management, this is a, this is a, an art form, Kurt. And a lot of athletes, I don't think. Well, I don't want to say that because I, it, it is it's an it's an art form, and it takes a long time to learn how to to be professional about this, right? And and I think that you're you hit it right on the money. The guys like Steph Curry or LeBron James, one of the reasons why they're Hall of Famers and why they're so great is because they, they have understood you know, the professional aspect of taking care of your body. And with something like this, like I said, unless you're talking about you know, going into the offseason where you have three months to rest, uh, this is one of those, OK, well, how do you manage the injury? How do you add it you know into your routine? And to do that, you have to be around older guys or be around your colleagues, right, like in the Olympic team kind of program where you learn from, hey, like LeBron, how do you do that? That's why I think Anthony Davis going to go play with LeBron was so great, because he even said that in some, some interviews where he's like, I learn how to take care of my body by being around LeBron. And you only you only understand that if you spend time with him. You, you also hear those kind of stories coming back from people who went to the Olympics with Kobe Bryant. It's like, oh, yes, that's how you prepare. That's how you train. You know, so I think when Ja, um, he's early in his career, but when Ja Moran is going to when he's around those older guys, those veterans, because, you know, quite frankly, he doesn't have those on his team. So when he goes to the all-star weekends and when he goes and plays around the you know team USA um, or the, you know, along his career moving forward, that's where I think he's going to take it to another level and address that durability question um, even further. But you know, that's, that's more like down the road.
1: That's down the road. Speaking of the Grizzlies, it's, it's time for Corey's jukebox. And I, I think you actually have a song for or music for the Grizzlies as, as part of our, uh, our, our trip into music this week.
0: Yes. And this, this is, this is a, an homage, an homage to you, Kurt. Uh, you know, I, I, I wanted to make sure that we, we both, our musical needs are being met. And uh, I did a punk phase in my life. And I know that punk music is really big where you're from. how that go dad? Yeah. <laughs> I do come from a military family. We're very conservative. Uh, but, <laughs> but you, know, you know, there's always that phase of rebellion, I guess. And mine was listening to yeah. punk music <laughs> and getting a blonde mohawk. So it happened,
1: <laughs>
0: and uh, with, now with, I want you,
1: pictures. Now I want pictures.
0: Just yeah, I mean it happened on national television. I was wearing, you know, I had a blonde mohawk um, when I was playing okay. football in football Notre Dame, but the punk music thing came later, and uh, I really thought that the Memphis Grizzlies, if I had to think of them as a team, for some reason they just hit me. They strike me as a punk band, like like just they're just these young you know, even like the coach is young, like the owner is young, like everything about it is just like, let's do things kind of different. And they have like this, this type of rebellious stripe that isn't necessarily, it's like truly kind of avant-garde in a weird way. Yeah. you know, And it's, and it's like, and they're also operating in like a small market, but it feels different. Memphis feels different than, you know, all the other kind of smaller market teams. They have like this really unique energy. So I wanted to go to the Descendants, and one of the most classic punk albums of all time, because we only talk about masterpieces, right? So you yes. and I. So we talk about Milo Goes to College. I just said the whole album. And they actually have a song um, on that album about bears. <laughs> actually, that's a good point. They do.
1: That is that is a transcendent punk album, by the way. That is is, an... Oh, I'm trying to think of the right phrase, but it is inarticulate it is the punk inarticulate rage thing like they're just mad at everything with power and some of that doesn't always age well but like that that's kind of that angst of of punk rock is very evident in that album but it's also in the early 80s one of the first bands to kind of bridge punk with i mean it gets a little more melodic it's not green day pump uh you know pop punk But it's not black flag either. It's it's the first times you. One of the few times you start to see melodies, and and harmonies stuff kind of blend in, and that becomes even among you know the bad religions and the more traditional punk bands of the world. Like you start to see the best ones have some of the stuff that the descendants break out in that album.
0: Yeah, and I love the thing I love most about this album is that the songs are like like 40 seconds, like the, the, i want to be a there if you want. It's 43 seconds long and like, like there's yeah. no there's no like ramp up there's no kind of like oh that's easy no this it's long it just starts with like punching you in the face like kicking down the door and it keeps that energy up and then it just ends and when i watch you know John ramp play it's like he just jumps yeah. over people, dunks on seven footers. Like he just does what anyway you know, it's just like the whole Memphis Grizzlies is kind of like amped yeah, up right. energy at a high level, like rubber bands flying around. It's just punk music. It's it's just raw. It's right. Plenty of plenty and, of trash talk. Plenty
1: yeah, of trash talking the I mean, grizzlies.
0: Just punk. So I mean I and even the way that like yeah, I I, I really do think of them as a punk band. Uh, but for the for the individual player this week, because we talked about the grizzlies. We talked about punk. I wanted to go into jazz now or veering into a little more kind of um, this one is more reflective jazz. You know, it's a French standard autumn leaves. But uh, I wanted to do the one by Errol Gardner. Uh, It's an incredible jazz pianist. And there's this album called Concert by the Seats, one of the best live albums in jazz music, in my personal opinion. And his version, his rendition of Autumn Leaves reminds me, it just brings to my mind Kawhi Leonard. Because don't you feel like there's this moment of like, like a sweet sadness, you know, like, like, it's like, it's almost like this weird, like nostalgic longing. And we're, you know, about to go into winter. Like, I just like, it almost feels like Kawhi is like sitting on a a team bus looking out the window and it's kind of raining, you know, and he's kind of like in his hoodie. And it's like, I'd like to be out there soon. You know, I'm playing like a lot more. I feel like there's like that moment with the Clippers where it's like, kind of like this nostalgic Distance, and, and that's why whenever I listen to that song, I'm just like kind of like Kawhi Leonard, where sometimes he's out there, sometimes he's not. Like, when is he gonna, you know, that feeling yeah. of when are we gonna see Kawhi be back as, as a Clipper and to be back at what we remember them playing at that kind of that high level back in the bubble or you know, way back a couple years yeah. ago when it first happened, but then also like what could be. So I, that's why I always think about Autumn Leaves that transitioning.
1: I think that's a great call. I, I spent time with them this week as a, a story on Kawhi's return and how. When you talked to the Clippers this week recently, especially before that game where he made his made his return from the injury and they started him and they put him back in the starting lineup for the first time since the Jazz playoff series, you know, a couple of years ago, they they were like now there was almost this now we have to be serious, all right? We've been able to keep our heads above water now we've got to this has got to get right now because it, it again the season's moving along we've got chemistry to build. And I think they like they went three and zero, and now he's going to sit out a game with an ankle injury. So I think that that that, that uh, longing is a good word for it because I, you can tell he wants to play more, and he's just he knows he's got to wait.
0: Yeah, and, and yeah, and that's the, one of the hardest things to do, right? I mean, this is back yeah. to like the John Morant, you know? Do you play on an ankle sprain? You know, I feel good, but you know, you have to be smart about it. And we know, you know, Kawhi like and the Clippers they are going to be as patient as they need to be because he is the franchise. Right. Uh, but at the same time too, you're right. It's like eventually you're going to have to have they've, to put it together. Right.
1: Yeah. They've been lucky enough. They're 11 and seven. As we speak, they've been lucky. And I think fourth in the West, fourth or fifth in the West, they've been lucky enough to win enough games that it hasn't hit them the way it's like, it's hitting the nets. Right. That right now. Um, they're in a position where they can still continue to be patient without freaking out. But they also know, look, man, if, if we don't get him out there, if we don't start building the habits with the group, we're not going to build enough of them in time to take on what will be, you know, the Warriors are still going to be there. The Suns are still going to be there. It's you know, Memphis is still going to be there. Like it's still a deep West.
0: Yeah. And, and like the lyrics for Autumn Leaves, if you, if you listen, first of all, the, the music itself, should, you know, is perfectly captures that longing. But this also, like, since you went away, the days grow long, <laughs> and soon I'll hear old winter's song, but I miss you most of all, my darling, when autumn leaves start to fall. You know, and that's like, right when the basketball season starts, you think, okay, man, like, it's going to be great. Kawhi's going to be back. And then it's just, like you said, stop, start, stop, start. I'll come off the bench, starting lineup, off again. So it's like, man, eventually, all of Clipper Nation is like, I just, I just miss you, Kawhi. <laughs> <laughs> I just, just, just want to see you out there. So That's why I went there. But, you know, you also um, are are really high. I know you're really high on the Clippers. I know you're also really high on the Cavs. So I want to bring bring us into Kurt's corner now to talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers. Let's really dive into this. Let's give this a few minutes, because I think they're deserving, Kurt. Why do you like this? Oh yeah, everything fit together with
1: Donovan Mitchell. I mean, we thought, oh, that's a good bet for them, right? Like going into this, when they made the trade, like, yeah, they gave up a lot, but this was a team poised to make a leap. But I don't know that I expected this much of a leap this fast. They have the second best offense in the league, sixth best defense in the league, second best net rating in the league this early. Mm -hmm. Like it came together really quickly for them. And I genuinely... Watching them early on, I do think they're for real. I think what we've learned, they've gone three and four in the last seven. What we've learned is that they haven't gotten the depth or the culture yet that you see, with the like we've discussed earlier, with the Bucks and the uh, the Celtics. Like, ah, huh, without Robert Williams, we can keep winning. We're without Chris Middleton, we can keep winning. They've gone three and four without, you know, missing Jared Allen, missing time. Uh, uh, Donovan Mitchell, missing time. Like, guys just missing games here and there. And I don't think they have the culture and depth and wherewithal yet to get through those moments as easily. Like, they, their defense has struggled the last seven games, and Jared Allen not being right is a big part of that. But if they're right, Corey, when they're right, I mean, you, you've been high on them too.
0: I agree. I, I, I think that um, I was kind of – I was curious to see how, how this would work. And it, it looks as though – the Donovan Mitchell addition, I mean it's just like it was like this alchemy that because yeah. we we saw it coming together, I would say with, with Cleveland last year. We saw that that play-in game, and we were like, wow, this team could could be interesting, right? And then with Donovan Mitchell, it took them to another level. The question is, well, where do they they sit? You know, because when we're talking about the, the real deal, we know the, the cream of the crop in the Eastern Conference that are competing for championships you know, are they at the Boston Celtics level? Are they at the Milwaukee Bucks level? Are they at the, you know, and then beyond then, the second tier of, you know, sorry, and the Miami Heat. We, have, we cannot forget about the Miami Heat. And then you think beyond that, it's like, okay, well, are they at the, the second tier of like the, the 76ers? You know, where do they where do they sit in the Eastern Conference? And I, I don't think they're Boston level. I don't think that they're Milwaukee level. And I don't think that they're Miami level, but I really do think they're right there with the 76ers. You know, as far as like, and that's once again pretty crazy to think about when you think about who's on that 76ers roster and who's coaching that team. Yeah. You know, and like so it's like they just jumped several yeah. spots to me. That's
1: amazing. I think they're in that second tier. I'm not, by the way, I'm not sure I'd have the heat on that second tier right now. They're seven and eleven. And by the way, about to head into a brutal little stretch of games. Um, they could they could they could drop a few more in there. Um, they're just not not to go on a Miami heat tangent, they're not right, but they're also not getting like last year when somebody go out saying where'd they find Gabe Vincent? Where did Max Drews mm. come from? They haven't had the, their Max Drews, Gabe Vincent guys. Like uh, Duncan Robinson hasn't been consistent this season. They're just, they need Tyler hero back. So anyway, I think with the calves there, I, I think the bucks and the Celtics are one tier, but I think they're in that second tier. And I think Philly's there like where they can be a real threat to these teams, but they have to have more things go right. Yeah. There's just a larger margin for error in Boston and Milwaukee than there is um for the Cavs. But they're capable. If 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 it's gonna go right, they are capable.
0: Yeah, I think of it like I think about it like in expectations, you know, what are you looking for? Yeah. And there are some teams who are trying to you know win now mode. And then there are yeah. and those teams I think you can either build it artificially which would be kind of like let's construct a super team and let's deal Clippers. with you know the scorched earth that happens after you build a super team uh we're seeing that with the rams right now in the nfl like you win but at what cost right yes. and uh we saw that with the lakers you win but at what cost it's been you
1: know
0: yes drudgery win for the, the ring? past few years
1: there's a meme that goes around with um, thanos talking to young oh what's her name i'm going blank on the the guy, her character, the daughter character, mm-hmm. um, it, and it's it just did, did the Lakers win the ring? Yes. What did it cost us? Everything.
0: Everything. So <laughs> the, the
1: Rams are the Rams are very much that way.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like maybe it's just like a Los Angeles thing, right? But 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 it's true. <laughs> but it's like Super Team when you do that, you know, that's the cost of. But you know, one could argue that's what you know it takes to put up a banner, whatever. And then you think about, well, when you build a dynasty, I think there are a couple different ways to think about dynasties. And I don't want to get into a tangent too much, but, you know, we can kind of, we can kind of pick at it, but there's this idea, well, there's a human cost to building dynasties, you know, winning a two-peat or a three-peat or a four-peat, or even, you know, sorry, it's two, three, two-peat or a three-peat, like what, what does that do with the human cost? And all you need to do is, re- you know, watch a 30 for 30 or your favorite docu-series to realize like there's a, the depth of the human cost and in, in the relationships that, you know, that are, you know, that are, um, hurt by by doing some of those dynasties, but then you also have this other one, which is kind of like, I think, a healthy dynasty, one that, um, and we see that with, like, the Bucks. it takes seven or eight years to do that, though, right, and, and then, so with, with the Cavs, they're not there, right, the, then they go into the second uh, sphere for me, which is, well, how do you improve from a bad team to a playoff team? Uh, like a consistent playoff team, maybe go into the second round, right? Like, and I think that the Cavs are squarely in that. And, yeah. and so for me, the next three or four years, they might be able to jump from second round playoff team to maybe, maybe pushing deeper into that top tier. Yeah. Uh, but that, that's the runway I see. I mean, do you agree? Do you disagree?
1: I do agree. I think that they, they, they jump started that process because Dave, um Donovan Mitchell has been So good. He has just been there's not only not only with his shot creation, but I there have to be fans in Utah who watch him try on defense and go, Hey,
0: now like like (laughs) he's the same with Rudy Gobert, though. I mean, so it's almost like you know, it's like I feel like that's almost it's it's kind of like when you think about you know, some of these guys are like, can they actually play defense? But they have they have one of the best defensive players in the league right there. It's you almost have a cushion. You're not really yeah. forced to show that side. And now we're seeing that side. It's like, oh wow, that's a pretty holistic game.
1: Yeah, uh, but he's been phenomenal for them. And so I, uh, I, I'm with you. I think it might take them a year or two to build to the next level. But they are with what he's brought them and the growth. By the way, it's a second year. I mean, really, second or third year. But like. Darius Garland's young yeah. and getting better. This whole team is, it's, it's funny. I think I told you the story. I, I covered them. I went and saw them in person out here in Los Angeles a couple of times. And you go into their locker room after the game and they're all getting dressed and there's not a lot of ice and there's not a lot of recovery going on. And they're, they're eating some food and stuff, but they're all kind of moving except for, by the way, Kevin Love is in the corner, like head to toe in ice <laughs> because he's got to be. But everybody else that's still a young team that's not phased by the moment yet like and they they just look fantastic
0: i I think their secret sauce by the way is kevin love because i I was recently at this dinner and um someone gave me this really great advice i think um at least i thought it was good advice where if you're going to have any type of conversation that's meaningful or substantial you need to have three generations represented Right. And I thought that was really fascinating when you think about policy, right? Where you think, okay, well, because the grandparents are the ones who've seen everything, you know, and then the parents are the ones who who you know have are the decision makers, and then the kids are the ones who will inherit the future. Uh, so what we see here, if we want to take that thought process and apply it to the to the NBA, there are teams that are run by all kids, right? <laughs> and then they have to teach themselves the rule and it's kind of like Lord of the Flies. It doesn't work out very well, right? They eat each other, right? It's just not a good thing. Then you have the the more of like all the parents operating, but then that's kind of like the 28 to 32 year old kind of superstars who are jumping teams um, who don't know how to accept certain roles because, you know, they're all they made their money, but now they want to win now, but they don't understand, you know, the, the future and they don't understand what has come before them. They're kind of just operating yeah. in that current moment that doesn't work either. And then there are some teams who are just too old to win, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so then I think the Cavs, though, are in that sweet spot. I really do, because Kevin Love has won, and he's a veteran. Yes. So, like, they have something that all the other young teams don't have. Quite, and, and that is a championship-caliber guy who's been around the league, you know, who understands what it's like to be the franchise player solo, you know, in Minnesota, to then joining a team, playing with LeBron. I mean, he has that institutional knowledge. And then you have Evan Mobley, the future, right? And you have Dar- um, Darius Garland and Evan Mobley, the future. And then you obviously with Donovan Mitchell, who is in that prime kind of like mid-range, the parent age, uh, having been you know with Utah for so long, running that and then failing, and then now having another opportunity to push it forward. I think that and that is what gives them that secret sauce. I'm with you on love, by the way. I think having a guy who's respected – and
1: by the way – playing at almost a six-man-of-the-year level this year. Let's let's not, like, pretend that he's just out there doing his Udonis Haslam. Like, he's he's out there really impacting games. But who – how much did he sacrifice his game to win, right? Like, how much did he change his game in Cleveland to win the way Chris Bosh did in Miami around LeBron? Like, guys made sacrifices around LeBron because LeBron's a – maybe beyond just single-generational talent – like he's, he's one of the, one of the if not the all-time great. If you're going to play with a guy like that, you make changes to your game. I think that having that in the locker room, it, what he says brings respect, right? And, and, and he's backing it up on the court.
0: It's so hard to do that. I mean, we talk about egos all the time because at, at a certain point, everyone watching the game has to realize you know, these are all, wherever they've been, they've been like the best player like, ever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so like, yeah. being and then like when you're actually a franchise player among everyone else, who's also been the, the best player everywhere they've been, think about the level of ego associated with that. Um, and then the fragility, I think a lot of people don't understand how fragile a lot of these guys are because, I mean, anyone who's an entertainer is incredibly insecure, which is why they entertain, you know, like they like yeah. to perform for other people and, you know, they are validated by, by other people's perception of their performance. That's show business. Mm-hmm. So you have like these incredibly fragile, insecure people who have tremendous egos. So that's why I think back to your point of respect, being a person who's been through multiple phases of that, accepted a role and is still and is excelling in that role. And, you know, I I mean, I I have like, you know, a lot of respect for what Kevin Love has done and the way that he plays and the way that he's kind of, you know, taken that stretch for and, you know, ushered us into this league of, an athletic big man, you know, who can shoot from the three-point line. Like, that kind of is like Kevin Love. That's like what well, he did. So so I, I think that the, the Cavs are in um a really great spot in that regard, more so than I think any other team um in the league. I think the only other team that comes close is the Pelicans, if they can get Zion healthy, because CJ yeah. McCollum kind of is that person for them. But he yeah. hasn't won, you know, so that's the difference.
1: Yeah, but that's a great analogy. I think that they're –
0: that that's another team where there's a great mix. Yeah, but I mean, like those are the only two teams I think that kind of come close there. Uh, one team I, I want to ask you about. Actually, before we move on, tell me, Donovan Mitchell, where does he rank for you in the NBA right now? Top five, top ten player? Top ten for sure. Um, I don't. I haven't
1: started to put together. Let's put it this way: I haven't started to put together my MVP. It's it's a little early for a serious MVP conversation. But he'd be, have to be one of the names i put in the – we'll call it the like, college football watch list for, of the award, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, but you yeah. know what I mean? Like, You've got to put a number of guys in there. I think he'd have to be on that list. You'd like, have to think about where he would fit. I don't know that he's better than, than Giannis or Tatum or Doncic or you know Curry, whoever you're putting at the top of these boards, but he's in the conversation.
0: Yeah, I mean, averaging a, a hair under 30 points, um, six assists and four rebounds uh, this season so far—it's been very impressive. And he's been. Uh, dynamic. I want to get you. Yeah, very dynamic. That's a great word to describe dynamic. Dynamic Donovan is a great way to, to describe him right now. I, I want to get your take on Sacramento. Historically, it's been a dumpster fire. We can't get around <laughs> that. It just has. No. You know, it just—it is. It's, it's a reality. Right now they're looking pretty good. I, I know that you you saw Tyrese Halliburton come out of the draft, one of your favorite players out of that draft, and he I, and he kind of has, I, I think, been a been pretty good addition to that. You got uh, Sabonis yeah. coming in. You have Kevin Herder. So what do you think about what's happening in Sacramento right now? They look pretty decent. They're so much fun. Like this is the Beam team. First off, I love that
1: they came up with this something to rally the fans and the team around and they're genuinely into it like who gets to like the beam is a big deal uh, they bring out a thing on court and you hit a button after the after the home wins and um, I, you know they took it they, they admit they, they I don't know if you've out here in Southern California outside Angel Stadium there is a it must be 60 70 foot tall um, giant a with a halo mm-hmm. for the for the thing and if the angels win, the halo lights up. So if you're just driving down the five at night going home, you're like, oh, Angels won tonight. Like, you don't have to look anywhere else. They kind of stole it from that idea. But it's a hmm. great rallying point for them. It's And it's fun. This is the, well, as of last night, because they slipped a little second best offense in the NBA this season, best offense in the NBA over their seven-game winning streak. And they're not great defensively. I'm not sold on, you know, like, again, I'm not sold on them being some sort of contender, but they look like a playoff team and they're just for a fan base that was I mean, star. They've been going through the desert for 40 years, Corey. They found some water. Yeah. They're pretty happy, man.
0: Yeah, it's been a dark, dark, dark time in Sacramento recently. But yeah, I, I, the fact that you would even put playoff team in Sacramento in the same sentence. Yeah. Sixteen. I, years. That that is like meteoric rise for them. We talk about like the expectations. Um They escaped, if this is a soccer analogy, they escaped the relegation realm, right? And they're, like, they're actually, like, playing well. Um, The future here is really fascinating. You mentioned the seven-game win streak. I just want to name some of the teams they beat. I mean, Golden State, Brooklyn. I mean, we, we talk about Brooklyn, but they put up 153 points against Brooklyn. So that's a pretty emphatic win. Yeah, uh, They beat the, the Grizzlies. And you look at all some of these numbers, too, offensively, 137 against Detroit, 130 against San Antonio, 122 against Golden State, 127 against Cleveland in their win, 120 against the Lakers. I, I mean, this is like – it's a different kind of way to play basketball. I know you said not there's no defense there. But when you're scoring like that, can they do that consistently? I think so. I think during the regular season that
1: they can absolutely pull this off. And I don't think there's – their defense hasn't been great. I don't think it's horrible, but it's not. Look, if Demonte Sabonis is your center, you're, you're not going to have great defense. It's just kind of how it is. But they've got some decent guys on the wing, and they've got some depth they can bring in with Monk and guys to, to create opportunities uh, or, or play some defense in spots. But right now, they're just having so much fun. Corey, they're just fun. They're just fun to watch. You mentioned the Pacers with Halliburton. I think these are two of the most fun teams now because they're both playing fast getting up and down, and they're, in the Kings case, they're just an offensive juggernaut because De'Aaron Fox has been fantastic, but they're just getting role players. Kevin Herter has been amazing in a, a role where just he's unleashed to knock down shots.
0: The The question that comes to my mind is, you know, are we seeing, I mean, this might be too early to tell. I don't know. You have to tell me. You know, in, in college football, you know, there was there was a transition from kind of a a, a traditional kind of run game, if you will, uh, to spread it out. And let's not even think about defense as much, kind of more of a formality other than on third down, right, or blitz packages. Let's just score points. And, if you know, you might put up 30 points against us, but we put up 40-something, right? And and that is – could we see a shift um, in the way that we're looking at some basketball teams where in Sacramento perhaps they're thinking – look, you might be a better defensive team than us, but can you put up – can you score more than 120 points? And is, is, that, is that even like feasible ah. to see a, a dynamic shift in the NBA that way?
1: Um, I think during the regular season you'll see some of that because I think you can still win – Like you can win games the way Sacramento's winning, or the way Indiana's winning. Like, I think you can outscore teams to a point – but then eventually kind of catches up with you. Like I, I if you want to win a title, if you want to contend in a serious way, then you've got to play really good defense. But you don't have to be that team the first 82. Like you can score your way to the playoffs. And I think they've set up a team in in Sacramento that can do that, right? Like they've just, they're an entertaining team that can beat you. Sabonis so knows how to score inside. They've got the slasher in Fox. They've got a shooter and herder. They've got, Harrison Barnes is kind of a glue guy who can do a lot of different things. And between all of that, it just kind of works.
0: Yeah. And, and I, and I think about the, um, the old Spurs teams with George Gerben, you know, when they were like scoring champions, you know, it's like, there was a period of time there was just like, uh, who could outscore the Spurs? And so I, I do wonder, yeah. like you said, they didn't win titles, but it, it did set the, the groundwork for future, you know, for, for future players to come and, in. And, and how, them. and how do, and how do Spurs fans look back
1: on those teams?
0: Yeah, true.
1: I think I think that for a team, for a fan base as starved as Sacramento, this is I couldn't be happier for them. That's a it's a that's a. By the way, if you get the chance, maybe the nicest new building in the league.
0: Oh yeah, Open no, no, no I, I, Yeah, absolutely. I love their arena. So so now uh, we're we're right around the corner from Thanksgiving, we're only a, a day away. Um, I'm curious. There's a lot of sporting events happening. So for our fun segment, how are you going to spend Thanksgiving? You had a friendsgiving last week, but this week it's you know Sunday night football on Thursday night. Uh, there is the the World Cup. Uh, what, what are you watching?
1: Well, and no NBA on, on Thanksgiving night. So uh, honestly, we've we're watching a lot of World Cup in this house. Um, it, it's I mean it's not just a, we had two soccer playing daughters when it's still two still playing in you know, high school and, and club ball, but. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, like, we've kind of been into the sport for a while, so I guess we'll watch the NFL game that night, I'm sure, and and who do the Cowboys lose to? I mean, it's a tradition, right? Um, Wow. (laughs) um, We've been really into World Cup and and pulling a big USA game on Friday. USA-England is, I'm nervous about us after watching us in the first game going up against England who looked dominant, but. I am excited for that game as well. I mean, what are you going to be watching?
0: Yeah, I, um, I will probably be watching the National Dog Show. I love so Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh, I don't really celebrate. I... Yeah, I, I technically don't really celebrate Thanksgiving just because you know I've always played or practiced You know with, with football. We were always playing, yeah. so we, I' just not like I've never really had like a, never been a big like Thanksgiving guy, but recently I've been watching um, the past couple of years. I've been watching the, the, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade on NBC. I love watching that. And then I, I roll into the dog show and then basically, you know, that's the end of my Thanksgiving. I, I, I kind of just take a nap after that. And the dog show has quickly become one of my absolute favorite, favorite traditions. Like you have no idea how hype I get for this show. Like I love the national dog show. Claire, the Scottish deer Hound stole my heart two years ago when she won best in show, she repeated last year. And I mean, I was like really cheering for her. I mean, you have no idea. Like I am a huge, massive Claire fan. And, um, I think she could 3P. I really do. I mean, she's she's so queenly, she's regal. She's I mean, not only is she elegant, but she's sweet and gentle and just really cool. I mean, I just think I just think the world of Claire. So, for me, I'm watching to support Claire, but it's all in all, it's like an unbelievable event. I love the features. I love watching the dogs trot. I mean, I just love I just love the whole thing. I'm I'm really like a huge fan of this event, Gert.
1: That's well. That's an NBC property, Alexa. If you're listening, uh, that's an NBC property, <laughs> man. So, we're, we're, I, but I know I know what I'm getting you for Christmas. I, I'm finding a Claire, some Claire clothing.
0: It's if there <laughs> if there's like a Claire merch out there, I never even thought about that. If there's like a Claire hoodie, <laughs> I'm telling you, you have no idea how I would I would rock that. I, I love I love this dog. I want. I never thought about. I don't have a dog. I never thought about Scottish Deerhounds. You know, prior it's a to big Claire. Dog. But yeah, now, I mean, after watching her win, you know, like it's just un like un not, not unprecedented, but I mean, it's really unmatched, unparalleled dominance. Like she is, quite frankly, the hottest dog in the world right now.
1: Uh, well, now, see, now you've got me now you've got it. you've added to my we often have I don't know against the World Cup. I don't know if, if we will see it'll be flipping back and forth between Macy's because we actually watched that. Mm-hmm. Out here on the West Coast, sometimes my wife and I will watch that and go, hey, that musical looks like one I should go see. Like, we, yep. we get everything second out here. So we're like, Town," that looks interesting. And then we went and saw Hades Town and, and loved it. So, And on down the line. So we do watch some of that. But uh, with World Cup on, we'll be flipping back and forth. Uh, they're not taking a day off. And, yeah. and by the way, I'm rooting for USA. I was rooting for Messi in Argentina. I might have to find a third team now.
0: I know, uh, I know. That was, I'm telling you, that was um, when they when Saudi Arabia beat beat Argentina. That was shocking.
1: That was Spain, shocking. So your Spain won it all. They lost their first first uh, you know group play game and and came back. But that's a man. You are doing what we were talking about with the Brooklyn. You're making your road really hard to get
0: through, <laughs> man. Is- very difficult. We'll see what, how it plays out. But if anyone who wants to to learn more uh, about what you're doing, Kurt, um, where can they head?
1: Uh, NBCSports.com, the NBA page, or you can follow me on Twitter at Basketball Talk. Uh, everything's there as well. We got power rankings coming out later today, um, and I, I, I'm I'm going to spoil it and say the Celtics are on top, shockingly. And, and and whatever you do, Corey, don't look where the Spurs land.
0: Oh. Sorry, uh, that's, that's not the news i wanted to hear going into thanksgiving but you know <laughs> Sorry, it's okay it, it, the holiday season is long hopefully hopefully things change <laughs> before before christmas, christmas rolls around Kurt, it's always a pleasure i will talk to you take next care week. buddy reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil